Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to the Spotlight. We are your hosts, Alex Morales, the Chief. And today, uh, Harry is uh, unavailable, so we're going to continue. We have a special guest, uh, is uh, Ambassador Francis Taylor, Ambassador Retired. He's now the President and CEO of FXT, FX Taylor Associates LLC, which is specialized in security, crisis management, and risk management consultant. Thank you for taking the time, sir. My pleasure, Alex. Great to be with you. Sir, yo, let's, let's kick it. Uh, can you please tell us about yourself? Oh, wow. Where do I start? Uh, born and raised in Washington, D.C., uh, in a single-parent household with my brother and sister. Uh, I am one of those rare people that is uh, a native Washingtonian. I uh, went through high school here and off to Notre Dame for, for college, and, uh, which is another story uh, that I can tell you. And uh, then a career in the Air Force. Uh, my final assignment was commanding general of the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, hired by General Powell to be his uh, ambassador for counterterrorism. Oh, wow. Uh, at the State Department in the Bush administration and then uh, became the head of diplomatic security. Left government in 2005 and uh, joined the General Electric Company as its first global CSO. Uh, was there for eight and a half years, uh, retired in 2013, and was asked by Secretary Johnson to come back into government as the Undersecretary for Intelligence at DHS. And now I'm just doing part-time consulting and teaching and uh, uh, enjoying my grandchildren. Oh, that is awesome, sir. Quite a small, small jobs, right? Uh, <laughs> head, of, head of DHS, undersecretary, BG. That's a uh, quite impressive uh, resume, sir. Not a lot of people can say uh, they're that successful in different type of government uh, branches or areas. I, I've been blessed uh, to have opportunities that uh, have come my way. And there's no other way to explain it but uh, being blessed. It is amazing because you just mentioned uh, General Power. Uh, I always use a quote from him. I don't know if you, you will recognize this quote, but it's, uh, uh, I even have it as uh, the tiniest right to do what's right. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you heard yeah. that one, but uh, I thought it's uh, uh, it incredible that, uh, you know, simple quote kind of makes sense. <laughs> Indeed. Well, you know, the interesting thing for me, Alex, uh, in working for General Powell is, you know, I had read his book. He was larger than life, uh, retired four-star chairman. Uh, but I have to tell you that working with him for four years, everything that you believe he is, he is. He is oh, wow. the most genuine person that I've ever met in my life. And he loves America and he loves the diversity of America. And his, his pursuit is to make sure America reaches its, um, its um, potential. So it was a pleasure working with him. 
if he was a, I, I think he's considered to be also a, a soldier's general, isn't it? Yes. Where he's all about his people first, and he taking care he, of his troops and uh, and taking care of the uh, the mission and doing it in the right way, and not about himself, but about them. That is amazing. That, that is so cool. Uh, we don't see that much qualities at this time. But let's take it backward a little bit, sir. Okay. Uh, uh, were your parent, uh, I was heard that your parent was part of the Great Migration. So can you please? Uh, Actually, not so much a part of the Great Migration. My mom um, graduated high school probably in 1942 during uh, the war. And okay. at that time, the Pentagon was recruiting clerk typists from okay. across the country. So she came to Washington with her sister uh, to join the Army as a clerk typist, GS3, in 1943. Uh, my father was actually born in a place called La Plata, Maryland, which is about 20 miles from here. So um, he close to Washington. But she came because of work. They met here, and the rest is history. Wow, amazing story. Well, why did you choose? I heard, you know, you from Notre Dame. That's kind of your alma mater. Why do you choose Notre Dame? <laughs> well, the, the, the fact of the matter is, and it's kind of a, a story of my life, is Notre Dame chose me. Oh, wow. Uh, it was the only school that accepted me out of the six that I applied to. And... Uh, you think of the, you know, I had not thought about Notre Dame as a place to go. They, uh, Father Hesburgh had uh, wanted to increase African-American enrollment at Notre Dame. So my class had 12 African-American students that brought the total number of African-American students on campus to 26. Oh, wow. Uh, out, of, out of 7,000. 7,000. 7, wow. But it, it actually turned out to be probably one of the most important decisions my mother and her family made to make the sacrifice to be able to allow me to go to Notre Dame uh, and uh, enjoy, you know, the education there and uh, certainly football and basketball and all the things that I love as well, plus the ROTC. Okay, now that's a good segue. You're talking about ROTC. Uh, it is it, my experience. I'm an Army guy, by the way. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> it takes joint force to make the world go round. That, indeed, indeed. But um, at least it is my experience that, you know, ROTC uh, commissions, uh, it doesn't get to that level where you make it to general. Usually, you know, it kind of... Uh, uh, I'll say plateau, but I don't know if it's the right way to, uh, at 06, a colonel. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you give that? Uh, what is the sauce to your success to, to become a general from an ROTC commission? Well, you know, I, I think um, as I look back on my career, one, it's opportunities that uh, leaders okay. saw in me to give me tougher and harder jobs to do and to work hard to uh, – meet those mission responsibilities that uh, came with those jobs. But I wanted to be in the military since I was eight years old. It was my dream to uh, join the military and become an Air Force, or actually, I wanted to go to West Point. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I got uh, a, uh, a nomination to the Naval Academy, but I 
couldn't pass the physical. And so I ended up uh, in Air Force ROTC at the last minute at Nerd Aim, and it turned out to be, like so many things in my life, uh, a turning point because my professor of aerospace studies, uh, who had been a World War II bomber navigator and had been shot down during the war, uh, really became an influence for me in terms of my future and the decisions I made to go into special investigations which I knew nothing about. Oh, so wow. The other lesson for me is when people really care about you, uh, you got to listen to them and maybe take their advice uh, and sometimes not even know that that it, how good that advice is until you get into it. But you joined, you joined the ROTC in a, in, a, in, a, in a difficult time because that's, that was when Vietnam was happening, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And you still decided to go in and serve. It was my dream job. Nothing deterred me from wanting to be in the military, not the Vietnam War. I volunteered to go to Vietnam. By the time I graduated, uh, there were no more opportunities to serve there. So uh, it was not a fear of the the conflict, but uh, wanting to serve the nation uh, as a military officer. Oh, wow. You you mentioned that you you fall in love with... uh we call it special agent, right? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and what makes you decide to become a special agent in the Office of Special Investigation? You know, it's kind uh, of like My a, professor of aerospace studies told me that you put that on my dream sheet. Oh, wow. Okay. And I had <laughs> no idea what OSI was. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he said, this is what you should try to do. And turns out uh, I did and got accepted. And, uh, you know, 26 years later, uh, became the commander of the outfit. Oh, wow. So you went all through the ranks and commanded All through the ranks, exactly. That is impressive. So you could see the whole transition from all the ranks, you know, from, you know. Yep. It was a a real journey and a a pleasure. But I got to tell you, Alex, you, you don't get anywhere in a career without people who mentor you and care for you and look out for you. The NCOs that would call me to the side and uh, say, sir, this, sir, that, but you just screwed this up and don't ever do that again. (laughs) All all of those things, I think, kind of put together um, a military career and uh, makes leaders better leaders, uh, gives you better perspectives and that sort of thing. And that's, to me, uh, what my journey through the military was, was a journey of growth, leadership growth, but more more importantly, learning people and learning to work with people from different places and different backgrounds and building teams going forward. And that has served me very well in the later jobs that I had. I, I think you just mentioned something that always resonates with me. I think there's sometimes, at, at least in the military, you just take all this group of people from different places and put it in the middle in the pot. You know, and all of a sudden it creates an airman, a soldier, or a Navy, a sailor, or a Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. And, but it has with the same ideal is to serve a, a, better, a, a better cause, more, mm-hmm. you know. So, and, and, and if at least uh, our civilian population will take just a little bit of that, you know, just a little bit, I, I think it, we'll be better. Than, you know, one of the um, – People have asked me, what's the difference between being in government and being in the private sector? Uh, they're good people in the private sector. 
But every day that I served in government, uh, at every level, I came home and believed that I was making a difference uh, to our nation. I didn't have that same feeling working at GE. Uh, it's know, all we about the money and the profit, right, sir? That, that's a priority in the business world, but not uh, certainly the national security uh, aspects of how you feel when you uh, come to work every day and you're working on real problems that, uh, um, that need to be solved. You know what? One of the things that I, I noticed I, when I retired, I retired in 2016, and actually I, I was I had the the uh, I was lucky to serve on the Harry when he was the ambassador in Zimbabwe, and then mm-hmm. I I decided you know this guy with like perhaps you had the same idea where well you know what I'm going to try the business sector <laughs> for and I, I did it for ten months and I felt like. Uh, I was missing, I felt like it was something, it was, how do I say, profits over people, you know, and you know how we always said that, you know, you take care of the people, the mission will take care of itself, right? So I always thought uh, with with the business sector, I was like, well, let me take care of the people and the people were going to be more productive. And in fact, it's going to make me (laughs) more profitable if the people are happy. But it wasn't that way that they wanted it, to work. It depends on the company that you work for. GE is a great company with great leaders and believed in developing people just like we do uh, in the military. But all companies are not the same way. Uh, so it really depends, I think, on, the, on the, the company that you join. But for me, it was a leadership challenge to become the chief security officer of a global country company with 300,000 employees in 129 countries and trying to build a security system, which we did. Wow. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's that kind of satisfaction I got at GE as opposed to what happened when I was uh, in the government. Yeah, I discovered that the private sector don't celebrate all the holidays that we celebrated the government. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And with that... We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You. 
You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. And we're back in The Spotlight with Undersecretary and Brigadier General Taylor. Sir, uh, again, I, I want to dig in on something that, uh, uh, that as a minority and Hispanic and serve in this military, you've been, you've been able to, to see in multiple branches of the government to, that, to a very senior position. So, uh, as we know, General uh, Brown is the first African-American four-star uh, in the Air Force, first, you know, chief. Uh, yeah, Air Force American chief. chief. Yeah, right. American chief. And um, what do you think there's not much representation in the, in the senior level ranks? What, what, is, what do we need to do or us, minority and African-American, or to fix that? Look, I, I think it's an issue that uh, we've been struggling with for 50 years. Uh, some people don't remember, but there were riots in our military during Vietnam, race oh, wow. riots. Uh, I actually went undercover to a, uh, a base overseas to kind of figure out what was going on. And the issue was uh, we weren't living up to our creed as a military in terms of equal opportunity and a meritocracy. And that led to changes in, you know, in training and promotion and opportunity and improved significantly the access of uh, African-Americans, Hispanic Americans and and women uh, to the jobs that would allow them to move ahead. And I think we just got to keep doing that. Uh, And, you know, I, I prided myself on reaching out to everyone who I thought could help me better understand what was necessary for me to get ahead. Okay. Uh, and in many cases, there weren't many, many African-American mentors. And so there were people um, who saw in me uh, ability that I didn't see in myself, and they kept pushing me uh, into new roles. And I, I think those that's how you get people ahead. You find the diamond in the rough and you keep polishing it and polishing it and polishing it. And ultimately that diamond in the rough becomes a glitter, glittering diamond uh, of leader of a leader. Did you uh, intentionally look for mentors, African-American or minority mentor, or did you just look, did you went and say, well, I like, I like, I, I like, this guy's trade, I think he's quite away. Let me let me go ahead and try Both. to see if he could be. Okay. Uh, when I saw an African-American colonel, I was in his face to figure out how he got to where he was. But equally, um, people I worked for, people I worked with, uh, people I had a great deal of respect for uh, were equally great mentors. Um, my first boss uh, eventually became the vice commander of OSI okay. uh, over – after 20 some years, but we remained very close friends. His son actually uh, went to Notre Dame, did ROTC and became an army brigadier general uh, as well. So it's, it's those kind of relationships I think that were important to me. And the fact that I understood that I had to work hard. 
that uh, there were people who got opportunities because of what they looked that like, you didn't not 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 how they how hard they worked. But uh, luckily, I worked for people who recognized uh, what I was trying to accomplish and uh, kept pushing me ahead. Actually, pushing me into jobs that I didn't even think I was ready for, uh, but nonetheless pushed me into them. And uh, somehow, the fear of uh, letting down my mom. Uh, Made me work harder. So that and I your fellow, fail. I bet you, your peers as well, probably. Indeed. You know what, sir? What one of the challenges that I faced, or that I thought, and perhaps it was in my mind, but I always thought, I always felt like a like a judgment because I had an accent, and because mm-hmm. I had an accent, I wasn't perhaps edu- as educated as somebody who didn't have a. I was fluent or without mm-hmm. an accent. So I always had to fight through that and put myself in situation where I say, yeah, I might have an accent, but I, I, I'm educated. I can fulfill the mission and exactly. I can do as good. You know, I tell folks, um, if you allow someone who sees you as less than a full human being to define who you are, you can never be more than what they want you to be. And I've always defined who I am through my own eyes, through my own heart, and through my own uh, desire to excel. Uh, Because that's really the only definition that matters, is how you see yourself and your ability to perform and the lack of fear and being put into circumstances that uh, you're unusual, uh, you find unusual, but nonetheless where you, you have to perform. And uh, that's kind of my career. Yeah, I pride myself. Uh, I, I went to the rank from uh, the enlisted side, became commissioned as a warrant officer, which the Air Force went away with that, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, became an intel uh, warrant officer, a military attache. And I always pride myself. I say, I can do your job, my job, and I could do it better. That was my goal to, to always succeed. That was my personal challenge. You know, one of the things I used to tell the young captains that would come in to brief me is uh, I've, I've done everything that you're doing today. So your job is to tell me why you're different. Not to, uh, <laughs> uh, you, you need to make sure that when I, when you get your 15 minutes in front of me, that I'm going to understand that the guy t- that's talking to me is truly an expert and knows what he's talking about. And you, that means you got to work at it. And, uh, you got to come prepare, uh, got to come prepare. <laughs> and I had a, an experience as a captain where I had to brief a three star and was ripped apart uh, by that three star during that briefing. And the thing I remember was all the colonels sitting around the table didn't come to my defense. It was captain Taylor against the three star. And as it turned out, the next time I walked in that office, uh, I was a colonel, and um, the lessons from that failure as a briefer Mm -hmm. stuck with me the rest of my life. And I was never, uh, ever not prepared with every answer that could come up uh, about the topic that I was dealing with. Lesson learned the hard way, right? Indeed. Nobody would take care of yourself other than yourself. You have to take care of yourself. Sir, so, you know... 
so you became uh, OSI CG, and uh, all of a sudden now you transition to a different environment, a different, uh, I'll say, mode of operandus. You become, mm -hmm. you know, you transition to State Department to lead the the counterterrorism. Uh, head of character reason, which I'm very familiar because uh, being an embassy and DIA and an attache, we dealt with a little bit with that and HIC and everything. So, oh, please tell us about the duties and how you work and how is the transition from a military to, you know, to the State Department part, your challenges or not challenges? Well, the State Department uh, is certainly not the military. And so one of the first questions is, what do you want to be called? Do you want to be called general or ambassador? And I said that the State Department ambassador carries more weight than being a general. And uh, so that's what they called me. And I think in any new role, you try to understand the culture and put yourself in that culture, not try to impose yourself on the culture that uh, is there. You need to learn the culture and then allow your leadership to show through. And so the, the role was pretty straightforward to help the secretary and the uh, National Security Council um, build relationships with our counterterrorism partners around the world. 9-11 uh, occurred, and that just changed the entire landscape. So I spent quite a bit of time on the road with our foreign uh, partners uh, trying to build consensus about how we're going to deal with what happened on 9-11 and respond to it. One of my proudest moments was uh, I took the case uh, for bin Laden to the uh, NATO um, North Atlantic Council. Okay. And briefed the North Atlantic Council on why we believe bin Laden uh, had been responsible for this, and that led to Uh, oh, wow. North Atlantic Council um, invoking the, the Washington Treaty. Uh, it's the only time in the history of NATO. Uh, quite proud of that moment. Uh, but uh, that that's the role. The role was to get a diplomatic um, uh, cooperation as we fought our counterterrorism wars. Impressive. Uh, now that you mentioned NATO, it, 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 can you please... Uh, tells our audience what's, what is NATO's main mission, so those who do don't know, please. Well, the, the primary mission of NATO is to protect uh, Europe and America from, uh, from aggression, uh, and that aggression in the Cold War was Russian aggression. So okay. it has served um, that role since 1945. Uh, the thing I don't think people really realize uh, is that the only time NATO has invoked the, the Washington Treaty, which is a treaty that says an attack on any one of us is an, an attack, attack on, on all of us, was 9-11. So NATO has been with us in Afghanistan I from the beginning. That. From the beginning. Uh, and has lost blood and treasure just like uh, the U.S. has. So When people start complaining about NATO and what NATO does, the only nation that has asked NATO to join them in a fight was the United States, and they did, and they've been there since the beginning. So that tells you the importance of it, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, sir, you, you are Assistant Secretary for DS, Diplomatic Security. Mm -hmm. What are the duties 
of a diplomatic security undertakes? You know, what was your duty or the DS agents undertake? You know, overall? well, DS is probably one of the most uh, flexible and capable federal law enforcement agencies in our country. Uh, they are federal law enforcement agents. Uh, they uh, protect the secretary and uh, foreign visitors to our country. People kind of think that, you know, Secret, Secret Service, Service does that. Yeah. <laughs> Secret Service only does heads of state. Other foreign visitors that come here that require protection uh, are done by diplomatic security. They secure the 265 odd embassies and consulates around the world with uh, personal protection, uh, cyber or logical protection cameras. I think every embassy has over 300 cameras and they all feed back to, uh, to Washington in terms of uh, for an analysis and that sort of thing. So ongoing protection of our diplomats, our facilities across the world. When I was there, it was a billion-dollar uh, enterprise. Today, it's a $6 billion enterprise. Wow. It's grown that uh, significantly since, uh, since 9-11. And I think it's one of the few civilian entities that have operational control of the Marines when they are, uh, yes. when they are in the embassy, right? Indeed. Yep. Marine security the- guard uh, detachments uh, work for DS. And they're the one who provide the rules of engagement for Marines to engage with any threats, right, sir? Correct. Well, with that about DS, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to the Spotlight. And welcome back to the Spotlight. We're back with Ambassador and Brigadier General Retired Taylor. Uh, sir, again, you've been gracious with your time, uh, but I want to make sure that uh, viewers understand how DS protect our embassy. Can you... Uh, just broadly describe how the how do they ensure that embassy are protected, our diplomats and our families abroad? Well, they provide the security um, 
they set the security standards for all embassies across the world, and then they implement those standards uh, at every embassy and consulate uh, across the world. Uh, they ensure residential security for our diplomatic families that are living abroad. They do security at the international schools where our, our kids go uh, when they're uh, when they're overseas. So. You should look at diplomatic security as the agency that is responsible for protecting uh, our four deployed uh, forces, di- diplomatic forces, uh, in uh, in every aspect of life uh, that while they're serving overseas. It's it's a pretty awesome organization, uh, and they do everything from cybersecurity to cameras to bollards and barriers and uh, everything else in between to try to make that mission work. And their their primary advisor to of security for the ambassador, for the ambassador. Right? correct? correct. That allows him correct. to make the right decision on regarding the, the safety. The emergency the action uh, committee of committee. the embassies. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah I, I have to tell you that I have yet to meet a DS agent that was not dedicated or oh, wanted yeah. to uh, in, in their job, and uh, I I can tell you that my relationship with them was uh, incredible as the DAO, and not only that, but most of the that I found the majority they're they're prior military or they have a lot of experience with the military, so we had that yep. bound as well. Yep, they uh, and they train uh, with special ops from time to time because they do mobile security, uh, getting people into tough places uh, like uh, Ambassador Khalil Zad before the Iraqi war, uh, getting him into uh, northern Iraq uh, for consultations with the uh, Peshmerga. And I tell you what, uh, even, and they do miracles sometimes with the condition they're, they they have to put overseas as well. Indeed. So I, I have to give it to them. You know, sometimes uh, the conditions are, are not uh, ideal and they make it happen. So yep. it's, it's amazing how it's you- a great organization. I, I love OSI as my, uh, my family, uh, but I love DS as well and recognize the excellent way in which they accomplish their mission on a day-to-day basis. I think people don't realize sometimes, uh, you know, we still have legacy embassies, which are not very secure and everything. And, 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 and the job of the OSI and the DS is to make sure that those old buildings, even though they're, they're fully exposed sometimes, they're still yeah. secure and that we can conduct that mission. So that's very, uh, that's very remarkable. Hey, sir, so I have, an, I have a question, and, and, and I think uh, you, you – uh, uh, what was that transition, especially at your level, of from from military, private sector, and all of a sudden go back to the government? Is it if it was easy to you? Could do you had to adjust, especially at your level, because you got to hit the run, the ground running. Well, as I mentioned, going from the military to State Department, understanding the culture of the organization you're about to join is a very important uh, thing to do so that you um, 
uh, don't step on it the first day that you, you get, <laughs> get, get in the job. And I remember going into GE, uh, you know, I'd brief presidents, I'd brief four stars, ambassadors, all that sort of thing. But there was a, I was scheduled to brief the um, corporate executive council, which were, was chairman, president, CEO, chairman, and all of his senior, uh, senior VPs. And I was going to brief them on security and crisis management in GE. And one of my GE mentors, Art Harper, uh, called me and spent an hour talking to me about how do you talk to the chairman? You know, what do you do? Uh, you know, and it, it, was, it was awfully nice of him to do it. But the idea was he was making sure that I didn't make a mistake from the get-go and not uh, be able to uh, convince the chairman that I knew what I was talking about and could, could get the job done. So that was very valuable. But again, the lesson is understanding the culture and working uh, through that culture and applying your background and skills to that culture to, to be effective. Go ahead, Harry. Uh, did you talk about the general's childhood? I, we did a little bit. So, but you can go ahead and hit it back. It's good. Well, he's a DC native, and I wanted to know how he ended up at uh, Notre Dame. <laughs> well, that's uh, we we talked a little bit about this, but uh, Notre Dame was the only university that accepted me um, out of the six that I applied to, and uh, we lived in a. My mother bought a home in an area in DC that was transitioning, uh, and. There was an Irish Catholic uh, gentleman, elderly gentleman, who lived down the street. His name's Mr. Carley. And Mr. Carley uh, and my mom went to Mass all the time together at the parish around the corner. And uh, she told him, confided in him, that she didn't know what she was going to do because I had been accepted to Notre Dame and how she was going to afford it. And Mr. Carley told her that if he gets into Notre Dame, his uh, horizons will be limitless. And my mother said, we'll figure out a way to get it done. So that's how I got there. And uh, Mr. Carley was right. And I'm forever grateful to my mom and her family for the sacrifices they made to allow me to get there and uh, and complete uh, my education. Well, I'm just asking you uh, so I used to go to Mass at St. Augustine when we lived in D.C. For- That's where my daughter was married. <laughs> yeah, over 30 years going to Mass at St. Augustine. So um, very, very pleased to, to hear and see that, sir. And you were at Notre Dame when Joe Theismann and Eric Parsegan and Tom Gatewood yep. uh, were all there. Did you? Did Alan you- Page. That's right, Alan Page. Um, did you become Terry Hanratty? So, right. are, you, um, are you a fanatical Golden Domer? I am. Touchdown, Jesus! Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I went to, you know, I went to grad school there too. So every basketball and football game over six years, I went to. Wow! Didn't miss a one, and uh, really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting athletic scene. Uh, they're in South Bend. That is fantastic. 
Hey, hey sir, let me take it forward now again. And it said, it, it appears that you serve multiple presidents. <laughs> uh, what are the difference between uh, Bush, President Bush, Obama, and Trump, if you could tell? Well, I didn't work for President Trump, so uh, okay. I can only comment on him from a distance. Uh, and he apparently had a different leadership style than Presidents Bush and Obama in terms of um, using the National Security Council and his cabinets uh, in a way to kind of um, impact change. Um, I, I must tell you that uh, working for president directly has is the highlight, I think, of any person's career in terms of your ability to, you know, help that president solve whatever the issues are that are facing the nation. So it was a pleasure to work for President Bush uh, and for President Obama. Um, I'm an independent. I've never declared a political party, as many military people don't. Uh, and the reason for that is, you know, I serve the nation and national security, not a political uh, political party. Indeed. Uh, sir, you're a role model for young men and women seeking to serve our nation and succeed in the as well as succeed in the private sector. What words of wisdom do you have for them? You know, Harry, that's a great question. And I, I kind of reflect on what made me successful? And first, you got to have people give you the chance to be successful. And I didn't mention it to Alex, but I almost didn't get my first job in OSI because no African-American had ever been assigned to the counterintelligence division of OSI. Wow. And, uh, and this was in 1970. And a gentleman, Charlie Russell, who was the head of acquisition and analysis, went to the front office uh, at OSI and said, we're going to hire this kid, Francis X. Taylor from Notre Dame. And I don't think they knew Francis X. Taylor looked like me. <laughs> I got the job. True story. Got the job and 26 years later became the commander. So, you know, uh, I was uh, working with Alex on this. And don't let somebody else define who you are or what you can do. You define that. You set your standards, you set your goals, and you pursue them with vigor. You look for mentors and people who will critique you. I mentioned to Alex, there were many African-American and Caucasian NCOs who kicked my butt, uh, who saw my potential, but also saw my short, shortcomings and helped me to develop into a better better leader. So finding those people who who really believe in you and you can believe in because they're going to tell you uh, the truth, not what you want to hear, uh, have all been, I think, helpful to me as I've grown in my career. And not being afraid to fail uh, because failure is, a, is, is part of growth, you know. Uh, I didn't get it all right all the time. I, they... Uh, there was a briefing I mentioned to Alex earlier of a three-star when I was a captain. It was the worst briefing I'd ever done. But it taught me a lesson that uh, when you get up in front of an audience, it's your responsibility to know everything there is about that subject and to present it in a way that uh, reflects your, your understanding. So 
my advice is to work hard, find good people who you trust, listen to them, better yourself, identify leaders who are great leaders and leaders who are terrible leaders and try to be like great leaders and not like terrible leaders. Uh, and over time, you know, just continue to develop those skills and leadership uh, skills that are going to be necessary to, to move forward. Wow. Amazing. So what are you doing this day? I know you were doing a little, a little bit of consulting, sir. Uh, 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 what? I, I own a consulting business. And I do some consulting about 20 hours a week. Uh, I'm sorry, a month. And I teach uh, at Notre Dame in the Keough School of Global Affairs. I taught a class at the University of Chicago uh, last fall on global uh, threats and, and challenges. So I love the teaching. I love engaging students. Uh, I've been at Notre Dame for four years uh, as an adjunct professor and have enjoyed that quite a bit. And probably the, the greatest uh, pastime for me is watching my grandkids grow. We have five. And uh, so, uh, you know, my, my goal for the future is to make sure that their future is bright uh, going forward. So uh, that's how I spend my time. Well, we're about to close out. Harry, get the last question and close us out, please. Well, I want to tell you just a little story then. Uh, in July of 2003, I was about to be sworn in as ambassador of Bangladesh. And my whole family came. You know, when you have that, it's like a wedding or a funeral. But your whole family came. And two of my elderly aunts, I have many because my father was one of 10, my mother one of eight, showed up without any ID. And security would not let them in. <laughs> But here comes General Taylor, and his, his practice was to always check the day of swearing-ins to make sure there were no issues. And I told him my aunts couldn't come in, Aunt Edna and Aunt Liza. He called them over and said, all right, Edna and Aunt Liza, who are y'all? So, and he let them in. And they told me, oh, wow. I told you we didn't need no IDs. <laughs> 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 and this was 2003. I mean, we were still in the 9-11 thing. So yep. I yep. am and my family will forever be indebted uh, to General Taylor for that kindness. He, Both ambassadors, uh, Aunt Edna and Aunt Liza have gone to glory, but uh, uh, we appreciate that forever, and we thank you for your kindness. Well, Harry, I don't remember that time, but it, uh, I, I do remember making sure that when the secretary was involved in something on the seventh floor with guests that uh, there were no glitches. Well, they were uh, you. <laughs> You're a legend in our family, and with that, I want to say thank you, sir. Well, thank you for your service as well, and Vic, for your service. Um, look, this is, uh, this is important stuff uh, in building for the future of our country, and uh, thank you for all that you guys are doing today and with your podcast and exposing young people to uh, old guys like me and my war stories, and hopefully through those they'll be able to uh, chart, chart their own course. Well... And with that, it was the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief, with uh, ambassador and brigadier retired Francis Taylor. Thank you very much, sir. 
My pleasure, Alex. Thank you. And Harry, thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for tuning into the Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.